0: What's up, everybody? It's your boy back with another episode of the Opinion Overload Podcast. This is episode 132, the first part on the series about Marcus Aurelius' book Meditations. So, coming back after taking that month off, I am feeling like I'm in the mindset to produce content again, you know, back and ready to do it. And over the past, you know, about a week ish, I've been reading the first four books of Meditations. I'm going to take this and break it down into four books per episode, just so you know, in case you wanted to read along. Uh, you can get the book online. I just went and bought, which uh, I believe, let's see, I have the book right here. It's the Modern Library publication of Meditations. It's a black book with a white feather and a red, looks like a crow. Uh, I'll see if I can find a link on Amazon for it if you want to get it. And we'll be going over over the book uh, in those, those four book sections. So this isn't going to be as much of a like hard and fast notes with specific details. This is going to be a lot of outlines. Uh, some, some things I do pull straight out of the text. I mean, there are, most of these notes are things I pulled out direct quotes, and I'm going to expand on them. So just know that. And we're going to start with book one, Debts and Lessons. The first book is really Marcus Aurelius saying, these are the people who helped shape me to be who I am. These are the people that I'm indebted to. And these are the people who taught me everything I need to know. So the one of the, f- the things that stuck out to me was how he belabors the importance of a private education. And I had to look into that because I was thinking, you know, if, if we look at it today, a public and private education, it's depending on where you go, you can get great education from a public institution and terrible education from a public institution. You can get great education from private and, and vice versa. So I had to go and look into how the Roman education system worked. And really what it was, it was a version of the Greek system. And what that is, Early Roman education was family-based. The education you got was whatever your family knew, and if you didn't know anything else, then, well, you're stuck, unless you could find a mentor or some other form of teacher. But it developed in the Roman Empire into a tuition-based system. So essentially, the schools would accept students, and they'd pay tuition, similar to a college or a modern private school. So the thing that kind of confused me for a minute was, well, if they're saying that public schools were tuition-based, w- were the private institutions? And that the reality is there weren't many private institutions. There were private tutors. A lot of these people tended to be Greek slaves who had escaped or freed men. Now, that was pretty interesting to learn. Because when you look at it logically, why would I pay for a public education which is probably not that great. I don't know what the standards and the curriculum of Roman public education were, but when I could pay the same price, maybe a little less, maybe more, for a a private tutor who I can vet on my own or search for whatever I want to be learning, right? Um, The first book also spends a lot of time on three values, duty, honor, and logic. And for those of you who don't know, Aurelius was a Stoic. And the Stoics were this interesting little type of philosophy that is starting to become more popular today. I'd say it might be more popular than ever today. Of you take all these, these feelings and these fucking everything in you. You take it and you apply cold logic to it. And you say, well, uh, I don't whatever, insert a situation. I don't want to react like this in certain situations. So you think through how you would react and you basically train your brain to say, this is how we're going to react in X situation. Or things like master the emotions so that you don't make rash decisions. Stoicism is really just logic, the philosophy. That's, that's really all I can tell you. And... I'm going to throw a little you know, side facts in here because Stoicism is an interesting philosophy and I in some ways subscribe to it and in some ways don't, but they have this thing called premortems. And a premortem is, say you have something that's dear to you, a family member or a dog or whatever. You know that thing is going to die eventually. You don't know how, but you know they might, or they will. So... You take time to imagine all the ways they could possibly die or could possibly be lost to you. And you basically callous your mind and callous your emotions to those happenings is a way to better deal with them if they happen. So there's a lot of things I agree with Stoicism about you know, master the emotions, be self-reliant, uh, all that, all that stuff. But at the same time, there's things where I don't think you can put them into use today. I mean, there's a few, there's a lot of stuff in this book that still rings true, right? He, he has a little quote that I pulled out here. Don't tell someone you're too busy unless you really are. I could throw that at a lot of people, I could throw that at a lot of people, and it would apply to them, right? And the end of the section was really, he details how he's indebted to the gods, and this section is about two or three pages, is really him being grateful for his lot in life, right? Aurelius was born the son of a diplomat who had a pretty powerful station in the Roman government. He did have some pretty turbulent happenings in his youth. I mean, he was raised by his grandfather's girlfriend for a while, and he had a brother, he had private tutors, he had all that stuff, but at the same time, he he's grateful that he basically got lucky and was born into a family that had wealth, influence, all that. So that's the end of book one. Book two is titled On the River Gran, Among the Quadi, And the main theme of this book is don't let yourself be distracted. And he goes into a list of distractions. There's quite a few, so I'm just going to give you a basic idea of what distractions might be. Anger, jealousy, dishonesty, indulgence, things like that. And these were... Okay, I'm going to give you two phrases from this this section, that were rather confusing. Throw away your books. This goes into a further theme that he has, which is subsisting on the Logos. And the the idea of the Logos is kind of interesting to me because it's very abstract in the sense that... Here, we're going to pull it up. It seems to be this kind of... I struggle to define it. Like uh Okay. Here. We're just gonna we're just gonna read some definitions of it. The logos is the active rational principle which pervades and governs the universe. Humans share in the logos by virtue of their governing principle, that is their ability to reason. Okay. So the Logos is this corrective force. You could almost describe it as karma. Uh, the governing of the universe would lead me to think it might be karma because here's a little fun fact. People seem to interpret karma as this mystical thing, but in reality and in, in all of Hindu philosophy, it's just described as a cause and effect, Right. You do X, you will receive Y. It happens in the Bible too. What you sow, so shall what you sow, so shall ye reap. These things pervade all of philosophy, especially things. You know, I'm sidetracking here, but there's a handful of things that show up across every culture. Eventually, the golden rule, uh, the cause and effect, the lo- stuff like the logos, karma, uh, examples of things along those lines and it's interesting that human humankind almost always comes across those ideas now the thing was when he said throw out your books he was saying that looking at all this this extraneous shit right i have let's see i've meditations on my desk i have a basic math book i'm going to tell you guys about that at the end because i might there's people who listen who, if you, if you don't like math and you want to get better at it, I recommend this book. And then I have a fiction book, Fallen Angels. It's a Horace Heresy book. I have three books on my desk. I would bet you Aurelius calls those a distraction. Now, here's the thing. A distraction to me is something that takes you off the path. Right now, the problem that I have with some of the things that he says in this book is that he says you need to eliminate all distractions. Don't do anything that isn't necessary. So then the real question for me becomes, well, what is necessary? Right. Is it necessary for me to read fallen angels and I could be reading meditations or doing math problems? Who determines that? Do I determine that or does the logos determine that? And the question is, if the Logos determines that, then how do I know what to do? Logic would lead me to believe that the Logos itself isn't some mystical power, right? It's not something that decides for anybody. The Logos is your reason. And your reason is just a part of a Bigger gestalt consciousness, maybe. And you have to determine what's necessary for you, right? Is it a distraction to read a fiction book? Maybe. Maybe not. Depends on the circumstance, doesn't it? Is it a practical thing for you to do to go in you know, I'm going to be using these things, these three books as examples, read philosophy or learn math. For many people, those two things are very reasonable and very practical. So, the idea of a distraction, I don't, it hasn't been expanded on enough for me yet. I have a feeling he'll expand on it a lot more later. And this is a, ph- a classic in philosophy. I have no doubt that at the end of this book, I'll have a better understanding of what the Logos actually is. The other phrase was despise your flesh. This one still kind of eludes me. I'm not going to lie to you. When he says despise your flesh, he says it in the context of if you were going to die tomorrow, what would you do? Out of old age, would you despise your flesh? Would you say, I hate that I've grown frail and I can't move as well as I used to? I can't think as fast as I used to? I believe it's really him saying, rail against the fact that you're eventually going to die and do as much as you can before you die. Right? He puts out some more values, maybe uh, axioms, really of what should never be forgotten. The nature of the world, your nature, how you relate to the world, what portion of it you make up, that you are a part of nature and no one can stop you from acting in harmony with it. See, these are good axioms, but the problem is they're very broad. Right? What is the nature of the world? How can one person deduce that can they deduce it have they deduced it i don't know but if we knew the nature of the world truly i mean objectively then that that answers itself right your nature that's a subjective thing how you relate to the world also subjective you could make an argument for being objective but at the same time that one's kind of sits in both camps what portion of it you make up this one I would argue is objective right for most people in the sense that whatever you do say you're an artist say you're a accountant say you're a lawyer you make up a certain part of the natural order that's the portion that you make up and you may supersede the that one thing right you may not just be an accountant you may also be a parent you may may also be a student all those things so i'm not going to say limited to one thing because you reasonably you can't but that is your natural that's your portion of the natural order the last one is more of a statement and it's that you're a part of nature and no one can stop you from acting in harmony with it a big part of this book is really how people should act and what harmony with nature is Aurelius so far has made the case that harmony with nature is the path of least resistance. Right? Interesting, isn't it? You would think, and I personally have had, I've heard this many times, don't take the path of least resistance. Well, one, every animal does. Two, When he says to take the path of least resistance, I don't think what he means is don't do anything. I think what he means is take the path that for you will cause the least resistance, right? That could be, I mean, here's a a good example. A soldier's job has a lot of resistance involved. But if that's what they're made to do, or if that's what their calling is, it's going to be a path of least resistance. That's that's how that stands out to me. This is just a little a uh, side note from another philosopher that he's quoted here. And I thought it would be good to mention because it's a pretty important part of philosophy, or for this period of philosophy. Everything is just an impression. This was Monimus the Cynic. And here's... This, this can get a little, trip people out a little bit, so I'm going to try and explain it as best I can. What he means by everything is an impression is that in reality, the physical world we see around us might not be anything like what we perceive it to be. The only reason it is, is because our mind has come up with impressions of the objects that we see, that we feel, that we hear. And those are the things that shape our reality around us. So, here's the deal. Impressions are all in your head. Everything you see is all in your head. Because you and the person next to you might see everything totally differently. And realistically you can't verify whether they do or don't because you can't step into their head. So, everything you see is just an impression. <laughs> His second part of this chapter, book, whatever, was that the human soul degrades itself. And here was the, the conditions for how the human soul would degrade itself. When overpowered by pleasure or pain, When it turns its back on another or sets out to do harm, to secede from the world, when it wears a mask, when it has an action or impulse without purpose, nothing natural is evil. So, this is what we break into here, the idea of what detracts from the soul. One, for almost all philosophical arguments, except does the soul exist, I'm going to say yeah, it does. And these things, the degradation of the soul, let's say when overpowered by pleasure or pain, yeah, that can be very de- degrading, right? If someone beats the shit out of you, you're not going to feel good. If you turn your back on someone, probably not going to feel good about it. If you become a hermit, I don't know. I don't know how you're going to feel. I've never spoken to any hermits. The wearing a mask thing applies great to today because a lot of people wear a mask. I want you to think of all the social media influencers out there who, fuck, nobody knows what they're really about because your perception of them is carefully curated to what they want you to see. And another one that I think applies great today is that when an action or impulse has no purpose. That is an interesting one because almost All of us do this shit on a daily basis, right? You walk into the fridge or walk into the kitchen, open up the fridge, look for something to eat, and there's nothing there. That's an action or an impulse without purpose. When you walk into the bathroom with something to do and forget, that becomes an action or an impulse without purpose because it served, it didn't serve its original intention. It, it's an interesting set of axioms here. And he concluded this chapter by saying, giving a description of human life. And it was really interesting because it, it almost read like a, a military document. Duration, momentary. Nature, changeable. Perception, dim. Condition of body, decaying. Soul, influx. Fortune, unpredictable. Lasting fame, uncertain. Some, the body and its parts are a river and the soul a misty dream. Life is war and a journey far from home. Lasting reputation is oblivion. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good one. I changed a couple of the words here to make it flow better, but, you know, it's pretty good. I think there's a couple things here that really stuck out to me. Lasting fame is the biggest one. And here's why. Because he argues against it like nobody should pursue it. I mean... I get it nobody should really be actively pursuing lasting fame cuz it it's valueless in reality but the fact he took a piece of this description of human life to specifically address it sticks out because think of it today Aurelius is around 2000 he he was around about 2000 years ago Right? We don't. We don't forget him today. Many people have no idea who he is, but his memory still lives on. And of course, he's one person out of maybe how many people's names in history do we really remember? You know, There's been hundred approximately 108 billion people over the span of the human race. And he's one. Out of Rome, I mean, there's probably a few thousand, but that's a 1,000 in 108 billion. That's not even 0.1%. So what you're looking at there is this idea that you shouldn't be striving for anything other than what brings you satisfaction. And this comes up in... The fourth book. Um, this this whole idea of human life, it gets so twisted up by a lot of people because it, it trends towards the material, right? And everyone's guilty of it. No one escapes it. I mean, some people escape it. They tend to be monks and they tend to have one pair of clothes and no shoes right because that's the ultimate dedication to asceticism we have in the modern world but you can curb it and over time i believe you can get rid of it but there's a certain there's a certain hold that it has on almost all of i'm going to say it's almost all of the united states and it's a lot of other cultures because there's cultures where materialism just isn't the way, right? There's cultures where people are more family oriented, where people's religion guides them very strictly. But there's a lot of places where that shit doesn't matter and the material is where it's at. I mean, you know, looking at my desk, right? I have three books, a desk paper tray, a desk calendar, a laptop, an action plan, and a cup with pens in it. And then I have this podcast equipment, a pencil case. And there's things, you know, here's how I deal with it from my perspective. I almost vehemently refuse to buy anything that isn't of the highest quality that I can, one, afford, and two, find. And here's the deal. There's a lot of stuff where the quality is high enough that I don't think I'll ever have to replace it. If I do, it'll be very infrequently. And the price is low enough to where it's essentially a non-starter, right? It doesn't even matter how much I spend on this because if I have it for 20 years, it's going to be nothing. It's going to be pennies, even less than that. Now, for like I'm looking at this pen case that I just recently bought here because I'm terribly. I i can't hold on to a pencil to save my life. Like I, I have gone through a 20 pack of pencils in 20 days. So I thought, you know what? It's $9. I might as well get A pencil case. And that led me down another rabbit hole of, okay, well, here's all these super high quality pencils and here's all these super high quality erasers. And they're not terribly expensive in the long run. But the thing is, when you search for quality and you search for, you know, practicality, what I'm looking for is just the best of the things that I can get a hold of because I want to have those things for a long period of time. So that I don't have to worry about them later on. Now there are things. I mean. I'm just going to turn around real quick. I just set a Warhammer model on the table. This is material. And I'm not going to lie to you. I go hard in the paint collecting these things. I probably have more than 200. Right? So. When. I say don't pursue the material. Don't. But it's okay in my opinion at least to have, you know, one or two outlets. Or, you know, a small number, not like 50, but you know, under 5, I would say, where you don't really mind having them because those things bring you happiness. Or at least they modulate your happiness. As Musashi Musashi would say, nothing external can bring you happiness, only you can determine that. So, these Warhammer models don't bring me happiness, they modulate it. In the fact, when I got Abaddon, I was hype as shit, right? I was like, oh shit, we got this motherfucking dude out here, he's gonna beat the fuck out of everyone else on the board. And I I was excited. So, In my perspective, Aurelius was a very wise philosopher, but he was a bit extreme in some rights. And, you know, we'll cover that over the three-episode course. Book three, incarnuntum. The main point of this is to hurry up. You don't have a lot of time. One thing that he took, he labored this point, Everything there is, what I mean, pick anything, a pen, a book, uh, a fig, a piece of trash, it might not be appealing on its own, but in the grand scheme of things, that one object is perfect because it has its specific role and it fulfills that role. The only way it could be imperfect was if it didn't fulfill that role. And I struggle a lot with the idea of perfection because it's it's this thing that, you know, in the beginning it makes sense to pursue, but the deeper you get into it, the more you realize it's, it's a, f- a fruitless endeavor. I mean, I read something recently that, it's from Greek Roman philosophers, that perfection is the ultimate form of tragedy because the closer you get the more flaws you realize exist. So, saying perfect here is really just a there's no better word in this situation. Now, here was something that I, I kind of disagree with and it was don't waste time worrying about others unless it concerns the common good. Well, I worry about others because I care about them. I mean, I don't worry about, you know, there was a bit of a spat apparently between a classmate and I, that I wasn't even party to, but he claimed that I wasn't invited to a study group because one, he didn't want me in his house for some reason. And two, he said, I wasn't a very productive individual Even though I carried the fucking team when it came to uh, existentialism, nihilism, all that shit. And for a minute, when I I heard about it, I was upset. But it kind of came to me a few minutes later. You've spoken to this guy twice. Why do you care? At all. And I realized there's no reason to care. Because he he cut himself out of a huge asset because I'm I'm pretty good at, at philosophy. I'm not the best, not yet at least. And yeah, I can do better, but you're gonna tell me that I'm not productive when I know I am. And that's when, That's what I think he's getting at here. He's not getting at don't care about people, but he is getting at just don't fucking worry about people who who don't understand what's going on. And another thing, he's saying it again, eliminate the random or the irrelevant. And this is along his theme of paring down as much as you can to get to the path of least resistance. He follows this up with a code of conduct on how to act. Never act out of compulsion, selfishness, without thought or misgivings. Don't sugarcoat. Do nothing unnecessary. Only in death does duty end. That's a quote from something else. But essentially, it, it's a long one. It was like a paragraph of how be a Roman and take up your post like a soldier and only leave that station in death. Be uh, Be cheerful. After only in death does duty end, be cheerful. And stand straight, do not stand straightened. This one took a minute to get. Stand straight of your own volition. Be proud of yourself. Don't make others be proud for you. Don't let other people's pride for you straighten you up. That's at least my interpretation. And when I, I finish it, I kind of, You don't have to dismiss people having pride in you, but don't let that be the main driver is probably the best way to phrase that. And here he says, keep your philosophy handy. It's going to be necessary to explain things that you encounter. All things are linked by the chain. He's getting at a very basic, it's a very basic interpretation of there's a natural order and this order is pretty big. Now, is it as small as the butterfly effect? I don't think so. But you can make the argument that it is. Because if you kill a bug, that's probably not going to have any impact on the major infrastructure of the bug hive. But, you know, you keep going up in scale. I mean, bug to a rodent, to a mammal, a larger mammal, to a person, a person to whatever, eventually gets to the scale of planets and stars, galaxies, fucking universes, multiverses. These things go on and on and on. And essentially, he's saying here, you play your part. And your part might not be huge. Your part might be insignificant. Your part might be world-changing to us, to people. But on the grand scheme, no one's part will be more significant than the other. Because you might be the most astounding person on Earth. That doesn't matter to the other millions of planets that exist. That doesn't matter to the other, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands, potentially more civilizations that exist. I mean, Drake's equation says there's about 100 million civilizations in the Milky Way galaxy. Let's double check that number of civilizations according to Drake equation. Dope. There are about between a thousand and a hundred million. Uh, it's a tiny range that range nothing i mean let's see okay here's the breakdown real quick there is 10 to 20 percent of the thousand to a hundred million is able to communicate and it claims here, which will last between a thousand and a hundred million years. Interesting. Um, so yeah, just kind of getting off on that tangent. We're not going to be very pivotal in the in the grand scheme of things, but we are pivotal to this current scheme that we exist in, and it's kind of the micro, the micro and the macro related right because even though you might feel like whatever you're doing is insignificant and in the the reality of things it probably is you acting and being productive still and being you know fulfilling your purpose is going to have an effect when it's magnified to a certain scale right one person is certainly insignificant when compared to the universe but a hundred billion people Is it insignificant? Who knows? A hundred billion times a hundred million. That's a lot of people that is that insignificant. That could reasonably destroy the universe if given enough time and enough resources. So we have to figure that one out. But his second point here was to stop drifting. And he, he went, I think this one was aimed at somebody Because he said, you're not going to do certain things you say you are. You're not going to go reread an old book. You're not going to go do all these things that you said you're going to save until you're older. When you're older, you're not going to do them. So instead of just walking to the finish line, sprint there. Fucking burn out. Don't fade away. And a book for this one's untitled. This one stood out to me the most. People do everything in their power to get a, get away from it all. They're acting idiotic. They can escape the world at any time by looking inward. People don't like to do this because it opens things up that you might not want to handle. And, you know, I, I agree with it because you know, I, I come from a moderately stoic background and I've always been able to go and just lay down in a room and go inward and, and you know, work on some shit if I needed to. I mean, I don't need to, there's, I don't dismiss leaving and going on vacation. I mean, go do what you want. If you want to go see something, if you want to go travel, if you want to go hang out somewhere, go ahead. That's That's chilling. But at the same time, that can't be the answer to everything. A lot of these things have to be solved on your own. Or, of course, you know, you can get help on these things, and if you need to get help, get help. But a lot of things can be worked through on on your own. And he has a couple more axioms here for this book. He has a lot of axioms. Rational beings exist for one another. Doing what's right takes patience. Nobody does the wrong thing deliberately. Those who have have reaped a bitter reward. And he kind of closes this one out with, you will be reduced to nothing. Your memory will eventually fade. Your existence will eventually be forgotten. But there's no reason to worry about that. Just do your best. But do what you want for the satisfaction it gives you, and not the clout. That's a paraphrase, a little bit. Aurelius wasn't dropping those mixtapes back in. The Roman Empire. He might have been, I mean, this is basically a mixtape, but that's, that's all I've had for today. I have a few more minutes I want to fill out. So there's some wild shit going on right now. So I don't know how many of you follow jujitsu, but I have some, some juicy drama. I, as you know, train with team Atos. And they were at Worlds this this weekend. Did pretty well. Uh, They came in first in the women's division, second in the men's and juvenile division for overall team points. Lost to Alliance. I mean, you know, it's neck and neck with that shit. It doesn't really matter. But apparently, there was this guy out there called BJJ Steroids. And he was firing fucking missiles at Atos. So it got pretty heated to the point that there was almost apparently almost a riot at the uh, IBJJF worlds and you know from a from a personal perspective i don't care if you're juicing or not i really don't if you do it do it i mean i have i have proposed you know, like I was talking to Sam about this earlier today. I've heard a bodybuilding argument that says they should be allowed two cycles per year. Everyone should get the same shit. And that's how we can level the playing field with PEDs. Right. That makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. And, you know, if we did that with something like steroid or If we did steroids with something like steroids, if we did that with like jujitsu or football or basketball, all those different sports, well, it would take the stigma out of it. And it would make these people stop wanting to be closeted about steroid use. I mean, you know, apparently Atos team members started fucking patrolling, you know, confronting people and, and, uh, looking through people's phones to see if they could figure out who was, Sending the messages, which one, that's fucking stupid. I'm not gonna lie to you. I love that team and I love training there, but that, oof, the optics on that are bad, my guy. And, you know, realistically, there's what? There, there's a few thousand people in that fucking arena. How are you gonna find the dude? Right? I mean, the problem is that going after the guy. This, whoever did it has a, he was a great troll because everyone who was involved bit perfectly and they did it in a way that honestly I would have never expected because it made certain team members look bad. It, the way they bit made fucking everyone look suspicious and it just it fucks with my head that people just oh dude it you would think right that it's obvious that you're being baited especially like that I mean it's fucking pictures like people are being tagged in the pictures with like needles uh needle emojis and fucking pill emojis like okay dude they're trying to get you to bite because they want a reaction out of you. And you gave them exactly what they wanted. And here's the reality of it. In professional sports, PEDs are rampant. Nobody gives a shit you're doing it. They don't care that you're fucking juicing. They just want to see you do really well. They want you to win or they want the other guy to win. And they don't care what it takes to get both of you to, to have a great match. I mean, fuck, track. Everybody in track is on juice. Like, the stats are outrageous. Football, basically everybody's on juice. Basketball, most everybody's on juice. Fucking badminton, I don't know about that one. But it's just like, okay, guys, so... I'm really interested to see how it gets addressed in practice. I mean, I talked to a couple teammates, and, you know, it. it, teammates who were there said social media kind of blew it out of proportion, but again, I don't know. I wasn't there. I would like to have been there now, but, you know, I can't. So I'm at 45. I'm going to clock this one out today. I will see you guys on Friday with, I don't know, whatever I want to talk about, and I'll see you next week on Tuesday for more aurelius in the meantime go pick up that book i don't have any fucking affiliate links or anything so just go pick it up if you want to read it i'm not making any money off of anything here so you know whatever i'll see you guys on friday remember like the show share the show uh, review it do all that cool stuff and i'll peace out